Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. As we're celebrating the day of trumpets and the day of Rosh Hashanah, it's a day of remembrance and it's a day of restoration as well. And last night when we, when we met, we, we spoke about the role of remembrance in this holiday, remembering a few things particularly, the sounding of the shofar at Mount Sinai when God came down on the mountain and brought his people Israel into covenant with him. And we spoke a little bit about um, the binding of Isaac and the ram that was offered in his place. We're going to speak more about that today. But we also spoke about looking forward to the return of our Messiah Yeshua and how this is a day of coronation of kings. And one day Yeshua will be crowned as king over Israel and over all the earth. And we look forward to that day, that day of resurrection, that day of restoration, and being able to come further into the presence of God. So we spoke about Genesis 21 and the promise that was given to Abraham and to Sarah that they would have a child. And that promise was fulfilled in the birth of Isaac. And that even though they had to wait for the promise, the promise was fulfilled because God remembered his promise and he was going to make good on it. And so I think we'll continue in, this, in the theme of remembrance this morning, but on the second side of it is this aspect of restoration that God is looking to bring. And in the Haftarah for the second day of Rosh Hashanah, the reading comes from Jeremiah 31. And I know we aren't yet in the second day of trumpets, but uh, that will begin at nightfall. I figure since we read Genesis 21 last night, we'll read Genesis 22 today as we get ready to go into the second day. But with the Haftarah for, for the second day in Jeremiah 31, we see wonderful pictures of restoration that God can bring. So Jeremiah 31 verses 2 through 5 says, Thus says the Lord, The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. And then continuing in verse 9. With weeping they shall come, and with, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, He who scattered Israel will gather him, and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. 
They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice and dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. So here God is pointing to the day when he will bring back the exiles, take them back from captivity to deliver them from strong nations who hold them captive, just as he brought Israel out of Egypt from a nation that was too strong for them. But he gave the victory and he promises to do it again and to turn grief and sorrow into joy and dancing, even for Israel and Ephraim who'd been cast off. He says, yet there is still hope, and I will bring you back. And when we talk about the appointed times, we, we spoke last night about how they're dress rehearsals for things of the future. One thing we didn't really talk about was how God works through the appointed times in his plan of restoration of all things. He set the appointed times in place even before he created man. On the fourth day, this is back in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1.14. I assume I can find that one pretty quickly. In Genesis 1.14, God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Now, normally if we read this with the Western mindset, we think of let them be for signs and for seasons. We think winter, spring, summer, fall. But the word for seasons used here is not the Hebrew word for those kinds of seasons. It is moedim. It is appointed times. It is appointments with the Creator. Appointments that He set from long ago that He would use to work in His plan of restoration. He knew that he was going to bring man into the world and that he would create man and he would say man is good. But he knew man would fall. And if man were going to fall, which he created in his image, he was going to give away for restoration. And so he established these appointed times as times when he would move in this plan. If we look at Passover, that's the season of redemption. We look at Pentecost, that's the season of covenantal increase. It has a lot of bridal themes. And when we look at the fall holy days, right, we come to the day of trumpets. It's the day of coronation. It's the day of kingship, setting God as king over us and Yeshua as king over us. And then we come to the day of atonement, where there is pardon, where there is renewal, there is forgiveness. And we come to the day of Sukkot, Actually, it's more than just a day of Sukkot, right? But the, the time of Sukkot, which is the time of God's dwelling with man, the time of the ingathering, the season of our joy, it's a time of renewal, of restoration, and new beginnings. And right now, as we're coming into Rosh Hashanah, it's the beginning of this new year. It's a, it's a change taking place. It's the time of renewal. But God made the way for restoration. And He made the way of restoration through a sequence of events over time. 
always increasing in measure. We saw the redemption of the children of Israel out of Egypt when he brought them out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, brought them to Sinai, and at Pentecost brought them into covenant with him. And then we see through the life of Yeshua, and we see his death and resurrection at the time of Passover. And then 50 days later, we see the Holy Spirit poured out on the believers at the time of Shavuot and Pentecost. And we long now to see the return of Yeshua, but we see the provision made for the ultimate restoration through the death and resurrection of Yeshua. And on this day of trumpets, and on this day of Rosh Hashanah, we remember the work of Yeshua and the hope that we have in Him. But we don't forget the things of old as well and the ways that God has given us ways to understand the work of Yeshua and to see that God has been carrying out this plan of restoration from the very beginning. So yesterday when we talked about the birth of Isaac, the promised seed to Abraham, we then moved today into the story of the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. And this is a, a significant event, very significant event that is remembered in the morning prayers. And it's remembered and recalled every year at Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And it's written that in the morning and the evening sacrifices, which are the Tamid offerings, that it was instituted by God that he might recall the Ikeda, the binding of Isaac. Now, the binding of Isaac was not a sacrifice in the way that the Tamid offering is, the morning and evening sacrifice, but yet it has very similar connotations with it from the aspect of an offering being made on behalf of all the children of Israel. In Genesis Rabbah, Chapter 56, it says, When the children of Isaac sin and face trouble, remember on their behalf the binding of Isaac and regard it as if his ashes were heaped on the altar and forgive their sins and redeem them from their troubles. Now we, we read that and we think, well, the binding of Isaac, how could that be for forgiveness of sins? Right? But it's the suffering of the righteous atoning for the sins of the nation, which we see amplified and magnified in the death of Yeshua, who was perfectly righteous and yet suffered and willingly gave himself up. In 1 John 2, 1 through 2, we see almost a parallel idea, but it's referencing the work of Yeshua. And he says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Yeshua Messiah, the righteous. That's Sadiq, right? The righteous one. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, if we look at this comparison, right, from Genesis Rabbah, they talked about forgiving the sins of Israel through the binding of Isaac. But through the death and resurrection of Yeshua, there is forgiveness for the sins of Israel, but not only for theirs, but also for the sins of the whole world. Because the, re the redemption brought through Yeshua is greater than the redemption can be brought through any other means. So we're going to read here in Genesis 22, 1 through 19, and then we'll 
continue on with our discussion of the Akedah. Beginning in verse 1, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now she says, And we will return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father? And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By, my so by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now, within the scripture, there's something that is striking in this conversation that takes place between Isaac and his father. And it's in verse, it's in, it's in Genesis 22, 6 through 7. Actually, it's verse, uh, let's go through Genesis 22, 7. Sorry, we're kind of a little bit, we're not going in order, if that's all right. Okay, Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? So in this conversation, 
Isaac is coming to recognize that something is not right. He sees that there is fire and there is wood, but there is no lamb for the offering. And yet Abraham has said, we are going to go up onto this mountain and we are going to make an offering to the Lord. And so he says, where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Now, when he asks, where is the lamb? There's two ways that he could ask for this. Kind of like what we were mentioning earlier with the word for seasons. Is it moedim or is it uh, the other word, which I actually can't remember. I think it's a, but, but there's two ways of saying it. And the appointed times was in one case, whereas summer and winter would be in the other. In this case, where can be stated two ways. It can be used as the word apho, which you see on the top of the slide here, which is where is something located? Or it can be aye, which is more of something of where has something gone? Why isn't it here? There was something supposed to be here, but it's not here. So just like when uh, Adam and Eve were hiding in the garden, and he says, where are you? God didn't say apho. He didn't say, I can't find you. Where are you? He said, aye. That was the root word of what God said, which was a lament of where have you gone? You were supposed to be here, but you aren't where you're supposed to be. So Isaac has recognized something isn't right, and he's saying, aye, why isn't the lamb here? And Abraham's response to him was that God will provide the lamb, my son. Which is even a curious way of saying things, because in the Hebrew, there is no punctuation. So when we read it in our scriptures here, we often see a comma, where it says, God will provide the lamb, comma, my son, as though he's speaking to his son, saying God will provide the lamb. But he very well could have been saying, God will provide the lamb, which is my son. Okay? So Hebrew can be a little bit tricky. It can have multiple meanings. But something that's noteworthy in this interaction is that the Scripture said they went together. And actually, I'll go here in Genesis 22, 6 through 8. In verse 6, he says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And then Isaac asks the question. He says, God will provide the lamb. And then it repeats. So they went both of them together. Now, when it says they went both of them together, that's yachdav. They went together as one. So as they're walking together on the way to make this offering, before Isaac comes to realize that he is the lamb, he's at oneness with his father. And then he asks his father, and his father reveals that, Isaac, you are the offering that God has called for. And at this moment, you might think that Isaac would run the other way, right? Isaac at this point is 37 years old, according to tradition. He can well outrun a 137-year-old man. He can quickly throw the wood off his shoulder and run back down the mountain and be off on his way. But no, he, even with that recognition, says, I desire to do my father's will. And he continues to walk with his father 
to the place where they're going to build the altar. And he goes together, Yachdav, as one. There's a beautiful picture in that of the willingness of Yeshua to go and to do the will of the Father, even though he recognized that he would be the one to lay down his life so that others might live. The mid, in the Midrash again in Genesis Rabbah, it says, Like one who carries on his shoulder the stake upon which he is to be executed, Isaac carried the wood. He willingly carried the wood on the way to his execution. And when Yeshua was delivered over to be crucified in, in Luke 19, 16 through 18, the scripture says that Pilate delivered Yeshua over. I did the wrong verse. Okay, so I'm going to read uh, what I'm supposed to have had up there. So it's not Luke 19, 16 through 18, let's say that. Uh, he delivered him over to, to them to be crucified, and so they took Yeshua, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Yeshua between them. So Yeshua carried his cross along the way. Now we know also that Simon of Cyrene stepped in and carried it the rest of the way when Yeshua fell. But what we have is various pictures in the scriptures and in the traditional stories of the life of Isaac. Parallels between the son who is the promised seed of Abraham and the son who is the promised seed who will be the redemption of all mankind, who is Yeshua. And in the Akedah, we see pictures of Yeshua's death and resurrection. Now in John 10, 14 through 18, Yeshua says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay myself down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So Yeshua is alluding to what God is going to do through the engrafting of the nations. Just as God promised to Abraham that he, all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him, she was saying that through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed and that he will bring some who are not of the flock of Israel, bring them into himself, and they will all be one flock under one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Yeshua speaks about how he willingly gave himself. It wasn't forced upon him. Rather, he heard the will of the Father, and he said, Yes, Lord, I delight to do your will. Even if it means going to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because of his great love for God and his great love for each and every one of us here today and those who have not yet heard of his atoning work. Now Yeshua offered himself up and he even said that Pilate had no authority over him, right? 
just as in this he says that he lays it, his life down as on his own authority. Now, when Isaac was about to die, according to the Midrash again, it says, quoting Psalm 31.5, the Midrash says that when Isaac's throat was about to be cut, he thought to himself, into your hands do I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. Now, these traditions potentially predate Yeshua. I, I assume that they would actually predate the work of Yeshua. So that then when we read in Luke 23, 44 through 46, when Yeshua was on the cross, the scriptures say, it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Yeshua calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands do I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Some translations say he gave up his spirit. But here it is, him saying, Father, I have committed my spirit to you. Quoting from Psalm 31.5, knowing that God would be faithful to raise him from the dead. Because that's what it takes. It takes the resurrection of Yeshua to bring forth life unto all people. It's in him that we live. It's him that we have life and hope. Now, the story of the Akedah is central. It's central to the story of redemption, the story of the, the cross, is central to our redemption. And within the story of the Akedah, we have another aspect, really, of revelation of what God is doing. And Rabbi Foreman speaks about an Atbash pattern that takes place in the story of the Akedah. Now, I don't actually have the graphics today to go with this, but an Atbash pattern is one that um, has various components where a story begins and it goes from step one to step two to step three, and then it reverses back out from three to two to one so that you get kind of a parallel occurrence within the scriptures, a repeating of itself but in opposite order. And what happens within these Abbas structures is that where it comes to the center point, that is the central focus of this story that is being highlighted. And right at the center of the story of the Akedah, we see an Atbash pattern. And within it, okay, so actually I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll go here. This is not exactly the center of it, but Earlier we ta talked about how they both went, or they, they, so they went both of them together. And then you have the conversation between Abraham and Isaac. And then you have, so they went both of them together. Okay, this is, the, so, so they went both of them together is the brackets around the center component of this Atbash structure. And the center of this Atbash structure is, is the conversation. 
This is the only conversation between Abraham and Isaac told in the Torah. And if it's the only one told, and it's at the center of an Atbash structure in the middle of one of the most important stories of redemption, then there's something deep within this conversation. And so if we looked at the conversation, we actually have five occurrences of the word Vayomer. Now, in, in your English translation, you probably don't see five of these because one of them is so repetitive that most translations leave it out. But in the Hebrew, there's five occurrences of the word said. So I've actually added it here into this translation. But the scripture says in Genesis 22, 7 through 8, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, and he said, that's the, that's the extra one. Because if you said, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, you don't need to repeat, and he said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. So here we have these five versions of said. And what the sages say is that the reason why there's the repetitive statement of Isaac said to his father Abraham, and he said, my father, is that Isaac began to say something and was interrupted or stopped what he was going to say. And then he again said, my father. And his father responded, said, here I am, my son. But these... these uh, these Vayomers, in effect, kind of create a little bit of an atbash as well. Okay? You have the first one where Isaac said something, which is paralleled in the end, where Abraham said something. And then you have the, and he said, which is the second said, combined with the fourth one of he said, both Isaac speaking. But the middle one was Abraham speaking. And Abraham said, here I am, my son. And what stands out to me is that here I am, my son, is Abraham in this moment was at a critical part of the trial. Here God has told him to bring his only son, the one whom he loves, up as an offering. And the heart-wrenching aspect of having to bring his son up to the mountain to offer him up, the one who God said was the promised seed through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And now he's been asked to give him back. Abraham's at, at the critical time of trial and his, his son says to him, my father. I don't know about you, but the strain and the stress that had to be going through Abraham in that moment where he would say, here I am, my son. And in that, he's saying, son, I'm here. I'm with you. Even in the midst of this, I'm with you. And then he lets Isaac know that he is the lamb. But yet their unity is not diminished. 
He says, here I am. Now, in the Hebrew, again, there's not punctuation. So on one hand, we can look at this and we can say, Abraham's comforting Isaac to say, I'm with you. But on the other hand, if we read this in a different way, we can, say, we can see Abraham saying, here I am, my son. Saying, my son is the revelation of me. My son is the revelation of me. You want to look at the central aspect of the Akedah. You see the son laying himself down. The son who was created in the very image of God, taking on flesh, but yet he existed with God in the beginning. And the Spirit of God indwells him. And he says, if you want to know me, look to the son, because here I am in my son. You want to know what redemption is. Behold the Lamb. He says, I'm with you. In all the ways in which you're afflicted, my son has been afflicted with you. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And he is the good shepherd who laid himself down for the sheep that he might draw all men to himself, and that he might raise them up on the last day. And here we are today, we're celebrating the day of the coronation of the king. We're celebrating the jubilee year, when those who have been afflicted are set free, when God brings the dead to life. We're remembering the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, the binding of the only son who gave himself up willingly, but yet even more, our soon and coming king who laid himself down that we might live. And he is the very reflection of the Father. In fact, we see this in the scriptures. In Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And in John 14.9, Yeshua said, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, because Yeshua reveals the Father. Abraham says, here I am, my son. The Father in heaven says, here I am. Look to the Son, and you will see me. Look to the Son, and you will be with me. And I will raise you up on the last day. Yeshua is coming back, and he is the door. He is the way of restoration from the very beginning. And he is the one who will give us life and bring us into the presence of the Father, just as he has promised. In Matthew 25, verse 31 through 34, the scripture says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious th throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Right? The kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world. God had this in his plan all along. 
that He would redeem His children, those created in His, in his image, and He would restore the world with a, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So we're coming together on this day of trumpets, the day of the shofar, the day of the remembrance of God's covenant faithfulness and His kingship. And at the sound of the shofar, we proclaim the remembrance of these things and we proclaim the day of the return of Yeshua and His coronation of king, as King. In the meantime, during these dress rehearsals, as we prepare for that day, we're crowning Him as King in our hearts and renewing ourselves unto Him, that He might live in us and through us. And one day we will hear the great shofar. Until then, we get the dress rehearsal and we get to proclaim His coming. And one of the things that we do on this day of trumpets is we sound the shofar to proclaim the calling. Now, we did it last night, and we're going to do it again this afternoon because Michael has breath in him still. <laughs> He's had time to recover since, since last night. And so we're going to sound the shofar. And it, last night as we spoke about sounding the shofar, we had prayers and calling for God to awaken our spirit, to speak to us to set the captives free through the sounding of the shofar. If we are captives to anything that has been holding us, may we be set free in the sounding of the shofar and the proclaiming of the kingship of our Lord. Father, we bless you. We give you glory and thanks for your goodness. We thank you for your might, your power, and your faithfulness to uphold your word. We thank you, Lord, for the deliverance you bring, for the new life you bring. We thank you for the resurrection of the dead. We thank you that you take things that are dead and you bring them to life. And that we are held safely in your hand. Lord, we bless you. We give you glory and thanks in the name of Yeshua. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.